We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 296. Scott, I appreciate you filling in for me uh, uh, last week. You channeled your inner Mike Francesa. You did it all by yourself. How'd you feel? I made shit up and gave you horrible, horrible uh, predictions on games. Is that what I did? Yeah, yeah. And then denied, <laughs> was... and then denied that you ever predicted those things. Yeah, you'll never be able to find the tape of that. It, it, it disappeared. It's no longer available, even though it's everywhere. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, it was different. It was interesting. I had to do it, unfortunately, right after the, the Patriots won too, which was kind of like salt in the wound. It was, it was a little irritating because of the fact that Sonny Gray took so goddamn long to actually make some decisions, which of course is, is, is just the appropriate, I guess, you know, him taking as long as possible, shape, wait, making me wait as long as possible so that there's actually some news about like the details of what's happening. So yeah, it was like a, you know, 1130, recording. Uh, because the the overtime games and the Sonny Gray non-decision drama. I don't know about you, but because we've each done those before where, for whatever reason, one of us was unavailable for a portion of the episode. It is awkward as hell when it's just you talking. Because you kind of think about, like, okay, what's the next thing I have to say? Wait, did that sound right? What did I just say? So I can only imagine guys who actually have to do that for a living where they have, like, a four-hour show to fill every single day by themselves. 
I don't know. I, I kind of like talking to myself. You like it's, it? Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, I, I don't mean, like have it a. At all. I have a one-year-old, so it's not that much, not that different. <laughs> it's it's there's not much reciprocation going on, and sometimes really blank stares coming back at you. <laughs> so maybe I'm just used to it. Okay, well, um, maybe that's the key to to the whole solo podcast thing. Have a kid? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, this is uh, so this is going to be our regular episode, regular Monday episode. We're going to go through some topics, mailbags, and all that stuff. But last Friday, I also spoke with Sweeney Murdy for about 40 minutes. It was a great conversation. We got in-depth about spending in baseball, why big-name free agents are still out there, if the Yankees have done enough this offseason to uh, win a World Series next year, as well as we talked about sort of the whole news reporting cycle, and I got his thoughts on some of the quote-unquote fake baseball news out there <laughs> this offseason. Because I know you and I were very interested in that. Like the whole Dan Clark sports stuff on Machado, and the Machado rumors are still ongoing. So Sweeney gave a, a good perspective because I don't want to spoil anything, but but he has sort of the notion. Don't 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 spoil it. Don't spoil it. I'm but not going to tell you the the one. Well, the one thing that you and I were so curious about too with Sweeney is is and and some of these other guys who've been in the business for so long is is just how different it is and and like how frustrating it probably is on that yes. on that end. So I'm glad you had that kind of you you, you were able to. Um, to, to like breach that conversation with a, with a guy who's been around for so long because right. yeah I I think that is that part of it like the way that they uh, kind of handle that whole thing is is interesting absolutely and he talked about that so it's interesting that episode will be out on Tuesday uh, check that out um, but before we get to all the topics uh, just remind people about the March fifteenth and sixteenth weekend in Tampa that's St Patty's Day weekend for spring training that will be our annual trip down there. We have a uh, an event on Saturday at the game. Are there still tickets available? There are no longer tickets available. We are sold out. The tickets have been sold. The um, so yeah, we're we're done. I've had a couple people email me about possible overflow tickets. So if you are interested still in going, and I, I'm not even sure that we can get these tickets uh, at this point, but uh, it doesn't hurt to ask. So if you are still interested in going and for whatever reason you didn't get your tickets yet, um, shoot, in, shoot me an email, info at bronxpinstripes.com, and uh, I will tally a list of people that are still interested. Uh, but do this by Wednesday at the latest because that will be the last time I go in and ask for more tickets. But we have 50 tickets up top in the, in the club area. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've uh, spoken with a, a bunch of people who have already who have uh, said they were going. A lot of people from last year are coming back, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm pumped up for it. Um, and then everything that we're doing with the season with the BP Crew events, we have five of them this year. They're all on the website. Uh, you can purchase your tickets now. You can't even get Yankees tickets right now. You can you can set you can sign up for like a, a waiting list. Pre, yeah, pre, pre sale waiting list to like opened yeah. up last week. Or you could go to our website and buy um, five tickets for the season and get a ridiculous deal. They uh, The games are April 13th versus the White Sox. That's a 1 o'clock game. May 31st against Boston. That is a Friday night game, which is going to be awesome. We did Friday night with them last year and had over 300 people. Um, June 22nd is a Saturday night game. That one's going to be uh, a good setup. We got lucky with that time. July 20 versus Colorado. Uh, is a one o'clock game, and then August thirty first versus the Oakland Athletics. Good. So, go get your tickets. Yep, go get your tickets on there. And then, just so everybody knows, we're doing the captain's deal like we did last year. That is, if you bring five, if you captain a group of five people, your ticket is half off. If you 
captain a group of 10 people, your ticket is on us. So go out there, send some, uh, send some messages out, get your, get your crew together and, and join the Bronx Pinstripes crew. We're out in uh, section 205. And then also um, we're, we're doing pregames this year and the, a little bit uh, something different. That's a, um, an extra incentive. If you need it even more, um, the game, the, the game ticket comes with also a, uh, the t-shirt like, like it did last year, but also your first domestic beer and a hot dog. Yeah. Try to try to get that some more. <clears throat> that's huge. That that's a three thousand dollar value right there, <laughs> at least. <laughs> uh, and good job on us for getting the spring training trip finalized before the end of January. I think we started planning that thing forty eight hours in advance last year. Dude, everything that we've done this year, as far as these events, way in advance. I don't think I had all of the games actually up on the website. I think I told everybody I was doing it like throughout the season, and then I would just do it every every week for whatever reason. And they're all up there right now. They're they're all there. It's pretty amazing. We're on top of our shit this year. Yeah, good. that's good for us. Uh, let's talk about the Hall of Fame. Mo and Moose, they both got in. Mariano, the first ever unanimous selection. 100%. You surprised by that? I, I mean, I'm not surprised by the, the fact that, he, uh, that he's the guy that gets it. Like I, He's deserving. I, I believe that. I'm surprised that there wasn't one jackass that didn't vote for him. Well, there so was going to be a jackass, me. but that jackass ended up not being a jackass. The, the yeah, guy from he, the Worcester Telegram who right. wrote a whole big soliloquy about why he was actually abstaining from voting because he didn't want to deprive Mariano from being 100%. And then he ended up voting in the end for Mariano Rivera, which I think backs up my, our whole theory that the dude just wanted Attention. clicks. At the same time, it's like he wasn't going to say uh, to vote no, so it still could have been unanimous even without him. Mm-hmm. But yes, he did change it. I, I mean, I have a, a, a pretty rock solid theory on why he did, but I don't know if he's come out even and said why he did. But uh, I have a rock solid theory. I think why he did. Why he um, did what? Why he actually voted? Oh, what, what and, is and it? voted yes. And it's well, it's because Lee Smith got in, and and because Lee Smith got in, you you look at you look at the guy that's already coming in on this class, and and you're. You're filling out a ballot for the class that you know Lee Smith is coming in, and you're not going to vote for Mariano Rivera. You are the you have no credibility if you don't vote for him at that point. Like, look, look who else is getting in on the same ballot. It's it would be uh, it would be utter nonsense if he didn't on, on this, especially with this one because of Lee Smith. Right, and uh, a lot of I mean, the, it's right in front of your face. Yeah, the whole Veterans Committee, I think, is is a bullshit way to get in the Hall of Fame, frankly. I mean, I agree with you. It's a, it's a, um, it's a handshake behind the scenes, is what it is. A lot of people that were, that were. Um, I mean, there, there have been some I think that that are vindicated, but there are also a lot of handshakes going on, like the Harold Baines thing, um, <clears throat> Tommy Lee Smith. Those are those are guys that were, you know, good players, but not Hall of Famers. Yeah, and if if this whole process this year has has done one thing, it's at least someone finally got a hundred percent, and we can stop with that bullshit. Uh, notion that no one deserves to be 100% unanimous selection because Babe Ruth didn't get 100% and Joe DiMaggio didn't get 100% and Mickey Mantle, like all these legends didn't get 100%, so no one can ever get 100%. There are certain players, Mariano Rivera is one of them, I think Ken Griffey Jr. should have been one of them, there are players coming down in the future that should be them, that they're just a Hall of Famer and anyone who would say otherwise was not watching baseball. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Although, you know, I know that you and Sweeney got into this, so you and I aren't going to talk. And we, I, if you listen, if you're a listener of our show, you've heard us, you know, riff about the 
the Hall of Fame for way too long sometimes because it's a it's one of those topics that gets your blood boiling, I think, and you could like just go on it for a long time. But and I, but I think we're in agreement in this in the sense that Hall of Famers should be pretty fairly obvious. You should be you should be um, you should be one of the the best uh, in your in your in the time that you played. You should be one of the most dominant players, and it, and it shouldn't really be much of a question. Like I feel like it should just be an easy an easy look like that guy hall of famer no doubt about it yeah it's we're, we're, we're getting into so many gray areas now and uh and we're and we're seeing so many guys that are fringe guys that that you know you have to like you have to either build up or tear down a resume to to say whether they're on or off like right if you have it should, to go it shouldn't to, be that way if you have to go deep on a fan graphs page to find that their wrc plus in the third year that they played was 25 percent better than the rest of right. the league and that's what you're using to justify them getting into the hall of fame then they're probably not a hall of famer and the whole campaigning aspect of becoming a hall of famer i think is laughable if you are if you're receiving 20%, around 20% of the vote in your first couple years, then why all of a sudden in your seventh or eighth year are you getting 75%? I'm using Mike, I'm talking about Mike Messina. Now, I think Mike Messina is, a, is right on the borderline of Hall of Famer. He was, he was a great pitcher for a long time. He was never the best pitcher of his era, but he was obviously very, very good. But if, if the first year he's eligible for the Hall of Fame, he's getting, I think he got something like 22% of the vote. Uh, why seven years later is he getting 76% of the vote? Where, he didn't put up any... Did, did he put up more statistics in the last eight years I was unaware of? No, I think Mike Christina actually created more statistics for him to get in. Okay, he's right. A, he's, he's, he's a, he's a he bright got, guy. Maybe he got another degree from Stanford University. But, in two years, yes. Yeah, yeah but so... And this isn't even a knock on Mike Messina. Like, like we were talking uh, with some people uh, on uh, BP chat, and it's like... Oh, you just hate Mike Messina? No, I don't hate Mike Messina. I like Mike Messina. But just because I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, like, I'm not talking shit about the guy. Right. Well, I mean, th- there's there's part of that that I, I don't really agree with. And I think it's because of the the bureaucracy and, and the way that the writers handle the way that they vote. Uh, so you have a guy that's coming on and these and, and again, I'm just I'm talking about the like mentality of these these voters. It's not I don't think it's logical. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. But it is what it is. These guys don't vote for certain people on the first ballot at all. They don't, they don't, you know, a lot of guys will not vote for you until you're X amount on there, right. unless you're like the king of kings. It, and so that that's why Moose's Joe DiMaggio. percentage. And someone posted in our group that it took Joe DiMaggio four ballots to get into the Hall of Fame, which is asinine. It's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. So... I'm glad. But that's where the, but the jump the jump in percentages like I it, it looks it, on the surface when you're looking at that you're like oh that doesn't make any sense but but when you get get into the politics of the way that they vote and and like all that it's nonsense the yep then you're like okay uh, you know these guys just didn't vote for him because he was there for you know his first year his because second he year, quote shouldn't be a first ballot hall of famer he didn't yeah he didn't deserve so to be on how that, do you fix that how do you fix that whole thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a. Um, I haven't thought about it enough to, to like come up with a real solution because no one would listen to me, uh, and it would it would take me a lot of oh, brain power. You got I feel people like. listening right now. I'm well, listening. The, the the thing is, is that <laughs> once you have, I, I think it's going to be a very long evolution, uh, and, and it's going to be when 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 there's a new class of writers, when there's a new generation of writers at the at the top. When when we we see like millennials who are like 50, 60 years old and they're voting and then there everybody else underneath them, I, I think that, that it will be different. But 
at that point, we'll probably have different things that we're bitching at uh, and what they're doing because they don't appreciate the, the, the history or whatever. Well, there's constantly um, new metrics coming out on how to evaluate players. And I think that's part of the reason why Messina's jump was so drastic from 20s, 20% to 76.7% is because we started valuing new metrics other than just wins and ERA. And I get that. His other statistics, Mike Messina, compared to the rest of the league, were very, very good. So fine, I agree with that. So I get why voters now are saying, okay, I'm looking at this player a little bit differently than I did seven, eight years ago. Well, there's also walls that have been knocked down, like the the number the number walls. The, you know your your um, your home run totals, your win totals. Those are all your hit totals. Even like those aren't. Oh, the magic. You real, mean the magic numbers? Like yeah, the those 3, are not real hits, 300 wins. Exactly. Yeah, they're not. They're not walls to get in. You know that, that prevent you from getting into the Hall of Fame any longer. So so now that those walls have been knocked down, and, and like they're they're letting people in who have who have not hit those milestones. Now it's opening the door for looking around and and seeing who who came close or. Who was who was really good, almost there, and 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 also now we have to look at well these guys we're not letting in the Hall of Fame that have that are all time great players that have all time great numbers because they did steroids or they were impl- uh, implied or impl- they had implications of doing steroids. So let's let's look at the other side of that. Mike Yoshida played in the steroid era against those guys and still put up these numbers. Now does that skew his numbers to the positive side? Would he have put up even better numbers if he didn't go against juiced guys every other at bat? There's also another argument. He played in an era where the ball was flying out at, you know, at, at, um, at like ridiculous historic rates. So where do you factor that into it? Like there are complicated things. I get that with the way that these guys have to be evaluated, but you know, you have to go era by era and it's almost decade by decade because that's why I think those walls were really those, those, um, the number walls were dumb because you can't compare the eras. You just can't, they're just different. There's no other way to describe it other than they're just different. It's a different game. Yeah, it's a good point. It's hard, and, and it's not easy. I, I think I would be I would be in favor of them changing the voting system where instead of 10 years on the ballot, you get three years on the ballot. And if you want to even keep it at 75% threshold, that is a large majority, fine. But if you don't get voted in in three years, I don't think you should be a Hall of Famer. And then fine, remove the you can only have 10 guys on your ballot. So people would say oh if there's only three years but there's a ton of good players some guys might get left out why are we limiting a ballot to only 10 players how does that make sense you should vote in the best players when they're on the ballot so three years 75 percent. i think that would weed out a lot of the the campaigning aspect of it because you'd have to make a decision a hell of a lot faster three years is a big difference than 10 years no, it's it's that's a fair point. It's it's pretty good a uh, pretty good idea actually. I think that w- it would you'd have a, you'd have much bigger ballots like you said, but you'd also have much bigger classes. So you'd have a lot of people into uh, the, the induction ceremony. So you're bringing a ton of people to Cooperstown. Like there's logistics of that as well. But there's also um, you know uh, I guarantee you will hear people saying, oh, it waters down the ceremony. There's too many people. We can't appreciate. We can't it celebrate. Waters down one the of these ceremony. <laughs> we can't Jesus we Christ. can't go out there and say this guy was. You know, we can't like be all over him for as long as we we want to because there's ten guys getting in this year. Yeah, and uh, you'll have you'll have you'll have people yelling at you either way. Edgar, Edgar, and Roy Halladay also both got in. I agree yeah. with both of those guys being elected to the Hall of Fame. I think it's a good class. Um, I think this is one of the better ones. Uh, you have any fun either Messina or Mariano memories you want to share? 
I mean, there the the Mucina one, the the one that everybody that stands out is him uh, telling Tori to sit back in the dugout. Like I, I love that. That that mm-hmm. just it shows his mentality. It shows how much of a winner and how much of a competitor this guy was, and how how much of a perfectionist at the same time. Like we all know his background with the Stanford, graduated in three years. Like the guy was he's a, he's a brilliant guy. And when you see that type of person on on the on the mound competing at such a high level and telling his manager like very very obviously get back in the dugout you're not coming out and him like yeah okay I got you uh, it's just it's one of those uh, those visions that will ever go back uh, that will always stay in my mind and then Mariano I mean it's the body of work I mean I grew up with the guy I, I feel like that he was always there he was like a you know he was like a father figure of baseball for me when um when when we're you know coming up watching this game so. Um, it's just, it's just every, his, his, his body of work, the, the things that he meant to this team, what a rock he was for the entire time that he played. Uh, he was just, you know, I think in the, in the moment while you're watching this guy, I think there was a, a, a bit of, you, you take it for granted, but then when you start looking back and towards the end of his career, obviously we've all looked back a hundred times because the Yankees are really good at that at showing you what, what accomplishments have been had. And, you know, it brings you down memory lane and you just see how good this guy was for so long. And I saw, I think it was um, uh, Pitching Ninja on, on uh, Twitter. He, he put a, this is like one of the most telling uh, visuals, I think, of, of his career. He, there was, he overlapped uh, Mariano in his first year and Mariano in his last year mechanics and, and just put them on top of each other. I mean, there was, there was almost zero difference. It was unbelievable <clears throat> how that man was able to repeat his delivery and his mechanics year after year, pitch after pitch, and just do the same thing for, for that long and be it, be effective for so long at such a high level. That has been one of the things that I've read the most about Mariano is his athleticism and his ability to repeat his motion, which allowed him to have impeccable control. And he was on MLB Network Radio talking about how he need, he he's going to start working with the Yankees pitchers and teach them how to pitch again. These guys need to learn how to pitch. Yeah. You, you hear him say that? I and do. I actually I talked it. to Sweeney about really what he thought about what Mariano was going to be doing. But it is true. Like he People always said that Mariano could play a great center field. Remember in his last series, there was the whole thing, would Joe Girardi let him play the outfield for an inning? But he yeah, really was athletic, he, he, that, which allowed him to repeat his delivery to a T every single time, which gave him the control. The movement on his cutter was nasty. That's what got like, the, the publicity. But it was really his command that made him good for 18 years. Well, yeah, and I love if you listen and go back to some of the stories, like the cutter he found by accident. I mean, he's, he's a, he was right. kind of messing around and, and found this amazing pitch like, that, that just came to him. And and the fact that he could repeat his mechanics, repeat that that uh, motion time and time again, is why and the movement obviously of the cutter. But the fact that you couldn't tell what the hell was coming, and there was only two pitches, two three pitches coming, then then you know it makes you that much more effective because the fastball and the cutter looked exactly the same out of his hand, and and that's devastating. It was exactly the same until like the last six feet. Yeah, I know, right? Out of the hand, I said. So when when you're looking at mechanics and you're trying to pick it up as a batter. You don't see anything different, but then all of a sudden the ball moves and, and you're screwed at that point yeah, and you're, you're getting SOL. sawed off. So, I mean, one of the, one of the most dominant right-handed pitchers that we've ever seen against left-handed batters and because of that cutter and on the hands. I was listening to another baseball podcast and they were talking about um, Mariano 
And they were talking about the Yankees bullpen from the day Mariano started in that bullpen until today. And they have been the best bullpen in baseball by almost 2x when you look at win probability added. And I think that sort of uncovers why the Yankees have been so good for so long. Because the last 30 years in baseball, bullpens have been more important than ever. And the Yankees have had by far the best bullpen Thanks in large part to Mariano, but even since Mariano retired, I mean, think about the bullpen and and the dominant pitchers the Yankees have had at the end of games in the last six years, seven years since Mariano retired. It's pretty ridiculous. I mean, the baton really has not been dropped from when you think about the guys that that have come after him as well. It's um, I mean, not to the to the same extent, but yeah, it's it's been a. It's been a good thing. They've obviously prioritized getting the back of that bullpen. I mean, even then, though, it's a different game compared to what we have now because, you know, we had pitchers going deeper into games and the Yankees had a lot of leads going into that. They just didn't give up leads when Mariano was in very often. So, you know, that's why they were, uh, they were able to capture that. If you can, if you can retain a lead after the, the seventh and eighth inning, like your record's going to be stupid. Um, and, you know, kind of what the Yankees are trying to do now, only they got to push it up a couple innings to, to actually get to that point. And uh, I w- my, I would love to see him working with uh, Loisaga, by the way, because if you remember when we when he when Loisaga first came up, the comparisons of of him and looking wise, like a st- when you look at the way that they are um, physically, he looked like a young Mariano Rivera mm-hmm. uh, as far as like the way that he small throws, sl- his, small slender stature, guy in the mound. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to see some uh, some clips of those two guys working together. Um, my favorite Messina memory has to be 2003 game seven, when he comes in relief and saves the Yankees in yeah. that game that goes unnoticed. You know, people remember the two Giambi home runs. They remember the eighth inning rally off Pedro, but the forgotten aspect of that game is Messina coming in and allowing the Yankees to come back because he put up zeros. Yeah. I mean, that, that does, that, that tells the, that talks to his uh, competitive nature and the way that that guy just wanted to compete and win. And, um, yeah, there was there was uh, there were really second to none. I think in that in that way in that aspect of the game. And I believe um, he has said that is his favorite moment uh, pitching with the Yankees. Yeah, that's great. The uh, knuckle curve uh, also like you were talking about one pitch for Mariano. The knuckle curve for Mussina was devastating as well. Like that thing, and and people forget too. I think like towards the end of his career, and you know how he kind of he, he also had that um, extension part of his career where he kind of had to evolve as a pitcher and and really like just just you know, uh, work a lot harder to get outs and to get swings and misses and to get ground balls. Um, and that knuckle curve was a big part of it. He finally got the 20 wins in his final season. And it was, if you look at his baseball reference page, he was struggling, struggling in 2006 and 2007. And then he sort of reinvented himself in 2008. His ERA came down a lot and he got the 20 wins. I really think he could have pitched a couple more years. Yeah. I mean, when you have command and you can throw good breaking balls, you can extend your career. You don't need, you don't need, uh, I mean, he never was a big fastball guy anyway, uh, but you know, we we're seeing now what, what's, what CeCe's doing and he can live in the high eighties, low nineties and be effective. And what so Pettit did, could have what Pettit him. did before yep. CeCe, which was sort of Pettit reinvented himself, extended his career a bunch of years. And that's what Sabathia is doing. Like you just said. So, uh, one, we're going to, maybe Sonny Gray is going to reinvent himself in Cincinnati. We're going to pour one out for Sonny, but before we do, why don't you tell people about Robin Hood? I'm not pouring one out for Sonny, first of all, but <laughs> Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages do charge about 10 bucks for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can actually take, uh, you can actually trade stocks and keep all of your profits and not p- 
pay all of those high fees. Plus, there are no account minimum deposit uh, that is needed to get started, so you can invest at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes it easy to invest for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps with your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as the, the 100 most popular with Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is now giving listeners of the Bronx Pinstripe Show a free stock like Apple or Ford or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. You can sign up at bronx.robinhood.com. All right, Sonny Gray. So when you did the episode last week, the details had not been finalized, but he got his three-year uh, $30.5 million extension that includes a $12 million club option for 2023. So he could max out at $50 million from the Reds. So uh, the guy who had a 451 ERA in New York gets a potentially $50 million extension. Just ridiculous. Um, we know who's coming back to the Yankees uh, draft pick and a player. We're going to talk about that. We have a mailbag coming up. But let's just give some final thoughts on Sonny Gray. And I think back, I don't know if you remember this. I remember it vividly, recording that special Sonny Gray trade deadline episode when the Yankees acquired Sonny Gray. And you and I were just so ecstatic. We were like, this transforms the Yankees. They can now win a World Series because they have two potential top-of-the-rotation guys with Severino and Sonny Gray. And my God, did it just go all downhill from there. It's, I don't even, I'm like, I want to throw up just thinking about that. But, I mean, in theory, yes, that's, that's exactly what it was. You know, we saw a guy that had the potential to be as good as anybody. And the quote stuff, even though now it makes us nauseous to even think about Sonny Gray and his stuff and him talking about it. But yeah, the guy was, uh, he was, he was an epic, epic, epic disappointment. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. He was, he will go down in history as one of the biggest disappointments that I've seen come into pinstripes. And so frustrating. Because, well, and it's because of the expectations also. I've talked about this a hundred times. When you have expectations that are lofty and you, you expect somebody to perform at a certain level and that level is high and not a, a low bar, but someone who has had success in the past, who you know, from an outsider's view looked like, you know, an awesome pitcher. And, and now he's on your team. Now you got that guy. And, uh, and he's just not that guy. He's not the guy that you thought he was. It's just super disappointing. So I, I, I think the things that will go down in my, in my memory of, of Sonny Gray, um, and they're all bad. I gotta tell you, <laughs> well, there's not one of them. Not what, one of them is good. What there's, would be uh, good? Three, three things that, that stand out in my mind. The, the fact that he is, uh, socially inept and has, has no, no identification of, of his own performance uh, and no, no responsibility in the way that he pitches. That, that was one. Like, how, how do you talk to reporters the way you do? I don't understand. Um, two, just the fact that you're an epic disappointment coming over from another team when expectations were so high. And, and three, um, the fact that somebody would actually come out and admit that they have no routine. Zero routine. I have no routine. I don't have any consistency on the mound. Oh, by the way, I have no routine either. I don't on a on a home day. No, I, I just you know I watch I watch Netflix, just hang out, and then I and then I do a couple things. Like it it may it depends on what the weather's doing, it depends how my foot feels on that day. It depends like you know what I had for breakfast. If Peaky Blinders, if I miss one or two episodes, I have no routine. Um, and but I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna expect consistent numbers. 
And, and, uh, but I have zero routine and I don't have anything consistent about how I do things. Yeah, the I frustration. Really, I never understood that. The frustration watching Sonny Gray pitch and then listening listening to him speak after the game is really what sticks out in my mind. And we we saw it firsthand a couple times last year because unfortunately we got saddled with a couple Sonny Gray starts for our BP crew events. I, I believe the first one um, when it was like 10 degrees in the stadium was a Sonny Gray game. Uh, the Angels game, if you remember, where when he threw a strike, it went out of the ballpark. Um, and just, to, just I, should, I need to put that on the on the front page of the events. I could guarantee you there will be no Sunny Gray starts this year. That's a that's a guarantee. The Yankees are not playing the Reds this year, from from my knowledge. Correct. I don't care if he's on the other team. I'm talking about, you know, well, because you know he's gonna he's gonna have a fine season in Cincinnati. There'll be there'll oh, be yeah, no expectations. He he no, there'll be no spotlight on him. He'll he'll have a decent year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Except for except for the fact that he's going to be playing in a band box out there as well, and people like to hit the living shit out of the ball in Cincinnati. Too, but there so. will be seven thousand fans in the stadium and one reporter instead of a hundred reporters after the game. It's a totally different atmosphere, and he obviously that. could not deal with it. He uh, the pressure obviously was too much for this yeah. mental small person. He was mentally weak. He was mentally weak. Yeah, he was mentally weak. There's no other way to put it. Like that's that's what it was. Because you see what happened when he when he was on the road. He was much better. And then he gets home, and and he and he shits himself. <laughs> like I don't know what else to tell you. And then laughs about it off the mound. Right. That the was that was the thing you could have done. That the was the moment. Thing. That was the moment Brian Cashman decided he was going to trade Sonny Gray. Right when he was laughing off the mound when he got his brains beaten in again at Yankee Stadium, couldn't get out of it like, was the, the second inning against Baltimore. Yeah, it was the confirmation of like uh, this guy can't. You can't have that aesthetic in, in Yankee Stadium with, with, uh, with our fans. You just can't do it. You just um, can't do it. And, and that just goes back to his lack of, um, you know, how out of touch with reality that he was and not, not able to read a situation. Like, bro, it's pretty, pretty freaking clear that you are, you are horrible at home and that Yankee fans are just fed up with you to, to the to highest level. Don't smile. I don't care if it's a nervous smile. Bottle that shit up. Don't smile. So, well, I mean, it, even if he's, ob- if he's smiling in that situation, he was obviously not disappointed in himself enough. He just stopped caring. That's what, that's what that tells me. It felt I don't like care about care. the nervous laughter or anything like that. When you suck that bad, there's no reason you should be smiling, even if you think that you're embarrassed or whatever. There's no reason. No, all right. Are we done now? I thought I was done talking about him. All right, I just week. want to mention one more thing. Last week when we were speaking to Vic DiBattetto, he mentioned Ed Whitston, and neither of us knew who he was. That's because he pitched for the Yankees in 1985. You were four years old at the time, right? I was negative five, three. Five, depending on the time. You were five. Yeah. I was negative three, so that's why we didn't know who he was. He was a solid pitcher before coming to the Yankees. He had a 360 ERA over 1,000 innings. Then he uh, signed with the Yankees, and he absolutely sucked. 538 ERA and 195 innings pitched. Then he was traded to the San Diego Padres, and what did he do? He pitched well again. 3.69 ERA over 1,300 innings pitched. Very, very comparable to Sonny Gray. Um, Just wanted to to have that callback from last episode. Yeah, nice little comp from Vic. Yeah. Um, All right, let's talk about uh, some, some... Baseball free agency news. AJ Pollock signed with the Dodgers four years, $55 million. And I find this interesting because the Dodgers were one of the leading teams or at least rumored teams for Bryce Harper. Now we thought they were offloading Yasiel Puig and uh, they offloaded uh, Kemp too, right? 
Yeah, the, the, the both of them went to Cincinnati. Actually, right. um, we thought I want to was... see Puig and Puig and Sunny Gray interactions. Please, I'll, <laughs> I'll sign up for that. I will watch that. I we thought that was just so they could sign Bryce Harper. Now their outfield seems to be filled. So where the hell is Bryce Harper going to sign? If Philly or the Nationals, I guess. Yeah, I still think he's going to go back to to Washington. I mean, to me, that makes the most sense. I don't really understand a move to Philly for him. Like if I'm him right now, I'm looking at the the rumored three hundred million dollar. Uh, contract that was extended to me from the nationals i'm like damn that was a pretty good contract was that ever that was, confirmed yeah they that was good I'm, I'm pretty sure it was confirmed that that's they offered that to him uh, at the end of the season i think it was still in season when they offered it to him so they were trying to get ahead of the market and, and i guess they expected the market to be higher than it was as well i mean who knows it's still may we haven't seen a bar set for these two guys yet so um it very well could be that high but I don't know. To me, that just makes the most sense. If, if I'm Bryce Harper, like you are the guy in Washington. You'll, you're the, the franchise guy. You're the all-time franchise guy. Like you have a, a very good thing. You have a good team in Washington. Um, I, I don't get going to Philly on, on, on his level, you know, unless it's just about dollars and, and how much he gets. But to me, there's so much money to be made too in the DC market for him. Um, you know, now and then after his career, because you're going down as an all-time national when you retire at that point. Like you'll, you'll, you'll be the guy there forever. So I, that's why I don't really understand it. Yeah, if the dollars are comparable, I don't understand it. But if he's getting more years, more dollars from the Phillies, why wouldn't he do that? I mean, again, even if it's, it depends on on, on the distance in the contracts. But he was offered a like a ten-year, three hundred million dollar contract. I have a difficult time seeing the Phillies go. You know, if they do go above that, like go much further above that. So if they're relatively close to me, the, the fit, you already know what the fit is in DC and maybe he doesn't like DC. I don't know. Maybe he just wants to go somewhere different because he's over it. I, I don't know. But at the same time, like you're that guy, you would retire as uh, a national. You'd play your entire career with one team. And, you know, I don't know how many of these guys care about that anymore, but he's been there this long. He grew up with this team. They have a good team. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And he's extremely marketable there. So not that far geographically. So I, I wouldn't under, if they were close, I, I would not really understand the move to Philly besides the fact that he just wanted out of uh, Washington. MLB trade rumors uh, is usually pretty good at predicting free agent contracts. They're usually honestly within 10%. And if you look at the guys who have already signed, they're very close, but they predicted for Harper 14 years, $420 million. And for Machado 13 years, $390 million. It doesn't seem like they're going to sniff those contracts. No, and I, they're playing the, the option contract, right? Like That's their prediction, I guess, is to see if these guys try to get a longer contract with a lower AAV, and that's how the, um, the market was going to shake out. And, and maybe that's still the case. That, that could still be possible, considering how, how things have uh, rumored to be playing out. So it'll be interesting. But the fact that the Dodgers went out and got um, a guy like Pollock, who, who's a, a phenomenal talent, it's just the, when the problem with him is when healthy. Yeah, he just hasn't been able to stay on the field consistently. But they may have gotten a steal with 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 AJ Pollock if he can uh, if he could come out and stay healthy. And you know it's obvious that they didn't want Puig. And it, 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 like I, I thought, it, the for two or three years they were trying to move on from Puig, so they finally did. And I think uh, like what we see with the Dodgers signing Pollock, and he's got some options and stuff in his contract where he can make a little bit more money. But teams are finding value in players for a lot less money than the potential thirty to thirty five million dollars for the superstar. Yes. Yeah. And they don't have to go with the commitment. The commitment is, is much less. 
So I think they're they're much happier with that. It makes sense. Again, flexibility has been Brian Cashman's keyword for now, uh, you know, the past few years, and I think that that's uh, that's a buzzword that's going throughout the league. These guys don't want to be pinned down and stuck in contracts, no matter how the players are, um, and and you know whether it's it's not worth the risk to keeping uh, to controlling a player for ten years. I think than it is for. Uh, that that's at a high level that it is for eating, you know, four or five of those years for them falling off and, and not being productive. Why are you siding with the billionaire owners, Scott? What, what do you, what do you hate the players? What do you, what do you don't think the players should be signed? These owners are rich. They should sign everybody. That is, that is yeah, the reaction I, you get on Twitter. Anytime you mention logic, which is the statement you just made it was a logical statement. You can understand why these owners and GMs are not willing to sign somebody for 10 plus years and that they can sign an AJ Pollock or a DJ LeMayhew or somebody like that who are great players for reasonable contracts. Good players, good players. Okay, good players, good players for reasonable contracts. You can, you can get value out of those players. But if you just make that point, you're automatically siding with the owners. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It is what it is. But it's you're adding. It's it's so it's so much smarter in my opinion. Like I've never been uh, uh, in favor of signing either one of these guys. Like I hate these ten year deals. I hate them with a passion. Uh, physical. When you see guys uh, that, that play at such a high level, there are, there are not a lot of guys that could stay Doesn't, that could stay that that highly productive. And especially when you're looking at a guy like Bryce Harper, who has been injured Bryce quite Harper. often. Look at Bryce Harper's seasons. They're, they're very up and down. Yeah. So it's not like we're talking about a guy who has put up MVP numbers for six straight years. Bryce Harper has the talent to do that, but he has not done it year in and year out. I think Manny Machado is a much safer sign. We've said that I before. I, yeah, I agree. Mike Trout's the guy that has been the most consistent of anybody and doesn't look like there's much of a fall off just because of the way he is built also. I mean, he's like a freaking Mighty Mouse little little freaking powerball i mean the guy the guy is is uh he's he's just compact like it doesn't look like a lot of things uh are, are wasted movements um and he plays hard but he plays smart he's consistent like that's the guy you want to extend like there's guys like that that, that you, you could almost project will will play unless something weird happens but guys like harper who are who are so like you know have more of a um high high uh high effort swing and, and just you know the not a very good defender either by the way uh, well he, so that, that's also getting prone. that's getting blown out of proportion last year he was a terrible defender but in the past he's been very good okay fine but you're coming off of a year that you weren't very good so there just supports your inconsistencies why am i going to give you 10 it's years? inconsistencies that is the the concern with harper and then with machado i think the concern i don't even know if teams really think this is a concern but the whole johnny hustle shit yeah, and I and I do think that the fact that you know if he's really um, I I think that when it comes down to it, if we see after he signs and you know people start talking a little bit more of, of actual information that's real, then we may see that the the whole shortstop third base thing may have been a sticking point, um, and I think that's also why teams are, are shying away from him a bit because they don't see him as a projected long. Uh, you know, long term shortstop. Whereas if he were to embrace that third base role, I think. Uh, I think he made a mistake there. I think he would have been highly, more highly sought after if he said that, you know, I'm, I'm staying at third base. This is where I want to play. Uh, you can have a longer career at third base for sure. And, you know, the fact that he's like an all-world third baseman, um, I think it would have actually helped his stock. So even though we're not getting the major free agent news that we're looking for out of Harper and Machado, we did get some p- 
potential rule changes. So that must get your your blood pumping. That's some exciting news, right? Oh yeah, big time. Give me a give me a shot clock, please. <laughs> shot a potential shot clock with the pitch clock. This is like the f- third fourth year in a row that MLB is uh, proposing it. They could just implement it if they want to. If they can't come to an agreement with the players' association, and also potential return to the fifteen day disabled list. They had gone to the shorter disabled list, and really what they found that allowed teams to do was manipulate the system. They could put players on, especially pitchers, on the DL and really only miss one start. They could call up relievers up and down a lot more. It would also lengthen the amount of time that someone has to spend in the minors so you don't have the Scranton shuttle or the equivalent of the Scranton shuttle for every single team. So a couple interesting things that MLB is proposing. Yeah, I like the 15-day deal because I like the 15-day DL going back to that. Originally, I liked the 10-day deal because I think it. Uh, one of the big reasons they did it was because of concussions, right? And they were trying to, they were also trying to make sure that guys that if they were um, in, a, in a protocol, they wouldn't have to be sitting a lengthy uh, stint because they were in a protocol, they could be cleared and then and pop back up. Um, but, but it really did give the teams a lot more flexibility to add uh, bullpen arms like consistently. And if they did this, you know, it also it would be a really good thing. It would it would knock the um, the Tampa Bay Rays down another notch, which which is you know let's squash this whole bullpenning thing right now, please. And uh, going to the fifteen day day DL would make that a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I think what it's kind of just crazy that they they thought they were doing something good and then they just found teams manipulating it. There, that's always going to happen, no matter what you do no matter what the rules you implement there's going to be teams who are trying to skate the rules and and find find the benefits that they can they can have that's fine let's just go fix it you know if you can be if you could pivot again and and make that make that move back to the way uh the way that it was and you're saying you're identifying that it didn't work as well and there were other factors that led to its demise then fine there's nothing wrong with that like okay you you tried something didn't work the way you thought it was going to work let's go back and I don't think the pitch clock would be that big of a deal. Remember people, all the outrage over the mound visit rules last year and, and catchers yeah. saying that this is going to completely ruin my communication with pitchers. I'm just going to get fined no matter what, blah, blah, blah. Well, right. I only recall one game that even affected the Yankees. They think they ran out of mound visits, but then they went to extra innings, so they got the mound visits back. I don't really recall a situation where um, a team got penalized for for breaking this rule and games were five minutes shorter last year than they were the year before so maybe it's the mound visits maybe it's something else but if you can keep shaving a few minutes off these games with quicker pace of play i am for that i gotta tell you i don't i don't know where those five minutes went i mean that they weren't yankees games (laughs) they they were all they were all san diego padres versus the kansas city royals or or the the uh you know no no one cares teams you know, if uh, if balls are still flying out of the ballpark at, at historic levels, the games are going to be long. Like, I don't care what you do. But um, the five minutes, I, I didn't feel that five minutes. Maybe maybe that's why they're bumping up to 630. They're, remember, they're just going to trick mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Like, oh, they're shorter. And that's fine. Like, you can play with my my uh, my stupidity. That's I'm good with that. I will I will play your game. <laughs> if you start them earlier and, and they feel shorter, even though they're five minutes longer, I'm good with that. I you think know? 605. I'm, I'm totally fine I, I want 605 games. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I would as early as you could get them. I'm good with that. Like I work from home, so I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Uh, and 
even if you don't, like you can watch a game now from anywhere. <laughs> right. There's really People no reason about. for you not to watch a game. And when I when I tweeted about how I was happy about the 6:35 start times because it's gonna it's gonna save us some late nights. People on the West Coast were like, "No, now I'm not gonna get home until the sixth inning instead of the the fifth inning." I'm like. How big of a deal is that to you, really? You're going to be in your car. You can watch on your phone. You can listen on your phone. Put on John and Susan. That's as enjoyable to me if I'm only yeah. listening for a couple innings. I, I don't really care if I'm listening or watching. No offense, West Coast. <coughs> we don't really care that much about when you're going to be picking up the game. There's an East Coast bias, big time, and uh, it's all about us. It's all about us. Especially we don't want to go to bed at midnight when the night. team is on the East Coast. They play on yeah, the I mean, East Coast. New York is on the watching... East Coast. All right. <laughs> right. We're going to get to some mailbags. Before we get to mailbags, though, I just want to take a second to remind you guys to rate and review the podcast. Um, it is the number one way you guys can help us out other than just listening to the show. Uh, when you give us a rating and review, it allows more people to see the show. It boosts the visibility, um, which expands our reach. And it really just gives us support, which... Um, is uh, really why we're doing this, right, Scott? We need it. We yeah, we we do it for the uh, for for people saying that they like our show. That's the only reason we're doing it. Mm-hmm. We appreciate that very much. Gives, but no, it, it does. I mean, joy. we have it gives us it gives us good things to look at. Um, but no, it, it does help out. It, it, it you know boosts us. We, we're able to get guys like Sweeney on. Um, so the Josh, we actually one thing we we kind of glossed over. Maybe we're going to get to it in the mailbag, and I'm ruining this. Yep. But um, the Sunny Gray. The Sonny Gray trade, the, the guy that we got at the end of the day after, after not getting shed, and then maybe we're getting shed, the, then we all get excited for this guy shed, the fact that he has a name shed, and he, he has a good baseball. Shed's a good baseball. Yeah. Um, but we ended up with a, a center fielder, uh, Josh, Stow- Josh Stowers from, uh, from Seattle. And looks like a very good player, but we are actually going to have him on the show later in the week. So we'll get to to talk with him and learn more about him, and you guys can get to know him as as uh, as, as I don't think many people know who he is. So we'll um, get him on the show, and that will be for next next week. All right, first mailbag questions from Nick Dorsey. He says, "How much does Mo get paid in today's reliever market?" Uh, I did some research here. So right now, Chapman is the top paid reliever. He signed a five-year, $86 million contract, which is $17 million AAV. But did you know that he signed, he had an $11 million signing bonus in that contract, which was uh, basically for luxury tax purposes spread out mm-hmm. over the five years? So his base salary is $15 million. Yeah, very nice of Chapman swag right there to, to play ball. Um, I think I think we see a ridiculous contract for Rivera, although he wouldn't seek it. He's too nice, right? Like I feel like he would take that hometown discount. Let's although play you're the scenario. At, so if I'm walking in real quick, if I'm walking into a, a if I'm walk, if I'm his agent and I'm walking in, and let's say it's like I, I've been, um, you said he was a free agent at 30 years old, right? That's the average so, free agent is 30 years old. I'm I'm walking in with that gif and showing you the video and showing you what my mechanics look like on day one <laughs> and then what they look like yesterday. And then I'm going to ask for a 10 year contract. <laughs> well, the, the, the crazy thing about Mariano Rivera is if you look at his career and the first six years of his, his, uh, his career versus the next 10 years, then you could argue that back 10 years are even better than the first six years. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think once he found his, once he found it, he never gave it up. He just, he just, he just uh, cemented himself and just kept grinding on that on that same every year. on the same mechanics the same delivery he just he just was able to repeat it and uh, the man was a 
a um, a freak of nature to, to do that. Yeah, every year, like in the in the late nineties, his cutter was ninety seven miles an hour, and then it would creep down ninety six, ninety five. A couple years, he was throwing at ninety one miles an hour, and you're saying, can he live at ninety one miles an hour? Well, yeah, yeah, he can live at ninety one miles an hour. I think he could have lived at eighty six miles an hour with the way that guy was going. But yeah, no, it's it's that's the, that's the beauty about not having the um, velocity later on, but you have the deceptiveness. Like that's why. That's why the mechanics are so important. When you see some of these young guys on our team, um, you know, flying out of mechanics, like Herman is one of the guys that that uh, that comes to mind immediately. When when he starts getting more consistent, like he's got a lot of deception in his uh, in the way that he pitches. So the fact that Rivera is going to come in and work with these guys, like that, gets me very excited because he's the king of of deception and and being able to pitch with consistent mechanics. And so many of our young pitchers need that. And maybe Severino can also work on his mechanic. You know what, Mariano never had Severino, to worry about. Severino definitely never. Mariano never had to worry about tipping pitches, <laughs> right? Because it didn't matter. Because it didn't matter. I think he would sign a five-year, ninety million dollar contract, which is eighteen million dollars a year, which would top Chapman's seventeen million dollars. Yeah, I mean it's about right. He would get whatever uh, you know. He would get one dollar more than Chapman. He right. would get more than the highest guy, so he would be the highest paid. All right, next is from Jan the Man, and it's a little long, so bear with me, but there's some good stuff in here. He says, last show you were talking about the difference between the Yankees and Red Sox last year. I noticed how our players all got a little worse, and all of the Sox big players got a whole lot better. I put together a spreadsheet with the four big veterans on each team and how they did in 2018 relative to 2017, and the results are oddly symmetrical. Betts, Benintendi, Bogarts, and Martinez collectively added 431 points to their combined OPS. Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, and Gregorius collectively lost exactly 431 from their OPS. The four Sox all went up in batting average and OPS except for Martinez, whose OPS went down 35 points as he traded some power for batting average. The four Yanks all went down in both batting average and OPS except for Didi, whose OPS went up 33 points. Obviously, the two rookies, Andujar and Torres, helped pick up some slack of the veterans, um, pick up some of the, the slack of the veterans, keeping the Yanks not as far behind the Sox as they could have been. He asks, why did this happen? One, some combination of coincidence and luck. Two, adding J.D. Martinez added protection and power while lengthening the Sox lineup. Three, hitting and training coaching. I'm sure there's some luck involved, and J.D. Martinez's addition undoubtedly made the Sox lineup better, longer, and more dangerous. But I think that Martinez's intense use of advanced video training techniques may have worked for the Sox as well. Meanwhile, I was amazed the Yankees hitting coaches couldn't help Sanchez with his season-long slump or Gregorius and Stanton with their extended slumps. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It really is. And appreciate the uh, – I exchanged a couple emails with um... – with Jan as well. So we were talking about this, you know, going back and forth, but the, uh, it's interesting. I, I, so here, my, my thought on, on, um, the Red Sox players is when you look at those guys, Martinez is just a, a hell of a hitter. Like the fact that he lost a little bit, you know, you're looking at more batting average. He's making a lot of contact. He's, he's still, um, hitting the ball out of the park, but maybe not to the same extent. The guy had an unbelievable year and think about what he did the second half of the year before that, when he was with Arizona, the guy was, all world, you know, after, um, after that trade. So he was, uh, he was, you know, at a, at a ridiculous level that probably couldn't be kept up. That being said, the fact that he does work on these like high metric hitting, um, instructions and things like that. Like, I, I don't know that these other guys don't, 
Um, but I do know that, that J.D. Martinez has just developed into an all-around very good hitter. So uh, his game is, is versatile. He obviously helped transform that Red Sox lineup because no it, doubt. the Red Sox lineup was not very good in 2017. They were near the bottom in home runs, and they f- completely flipped a switch um, in, in t- 2018. Do you remember when we spoke at the beginning of the season? Um, why am I drawing a blank on his name? He used to write for the Chad Jennings. He, uh, and he said, I have never seen somebody work as hard at hitting and studying hitting as J.D. Martinez. You remember he was, he was talking about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. maybe it rubbed off on some guys. Maybe he took some of the other big Red Sox players under his wing and said, this is how we're going to do things now. I, I do think that can have an impact. Well, yeah. The, I mean, you see a guy working his ass off and it, and it kind of makes you level up your game too. That, that, is, that is a real thing, especially for highly competitive professional athletes. Um, the, other, the other thing is, is that uh, Mookie Betts is, is one of the best players of baseball and he's just, you know, he's getting better. I mean, the guy is, is ridiculous. Um, Benatendi makes a ton of contact. These guys all make, put bat to ball very, very well. So I think like little tweaks to, to things that they're doing can make a pretty good impact. If, you, if you're already making a, a good amount of contact, like, you can you could definitely see your numbers start elevating. On the other side, though, the flip side, when you see what happened with Judge Stanton, uh, Sanchez, and Gregorius, one injury was a big narrative. I think on on the Yankee side of it, like the Red Sox stayed relatively healthy, the Yankees did not. We had significant timeout. Um, Stan was the guy that that was the most healthy, and you know he was extremely streaky. When he was on, he was on. When he was off, he was very off. Sanchez, who the hell knows? Uh, I, I forgot to bring up my point earlier, by the way, with the uh, the mound visits. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Gary needed a couple more visits to go back and forth. Maybe I threw him off a little bit, right? Maybe, <laughs> maybe that was a big decision. That, so <laughs> that's why he didn't hustle. That's exactly why he didn't hustle. He was saving his energy. Um, but so you, you're seeing a, kind of a skewed thing. And my my response to Jim when we were going back and forth in emails, like I, I want to see what happens this year because if the Yankees could stay on the field, I mean, obviously Gregorius is going to be out half the year, but I'd like to see what these guys could do with more games and, and to see where that, that comparison uh, lives with these guys. Well, he mentioned in his email, the extended slumps from Didi and Stanton and also Sanchez, who was in a season long slump. I think the four Yankees hitters that he mentioned are more prone to those extended slumps than the four Red Sox hitters that he mentioned. Well, yeah, but, and also judge was out for a significant amount of time too. Judge so. being out. It hurts a lot. I mean, we saw it. The team is completely different when Judge is on the field. He's their best player, yeah. and he's one of the best five best players in baseball. Right. So that's why I think that when you're looking at this at the surface, like it's it's uh, it's pretty eye popping. But uh, and, and not to take anything away from what they've done and uh, with the Red Sox, those cor- those four players, it's significantly better. But I do think there's an, uh, a level of um, unbalance with the way that we're lo- the way that the season's played out. And, and, and like health and and health being honestly the biggest thing. And who the hell like Sanchez had? We hope one of those outlier years that was so bad that we can't we won't see it again. We're hoping it's an outlier, but it, it, there's a possibility that it wasn't. Who knows? Yeah, of course, there's a possibility for anything. There's a possibility that all four of those Red Sox hitters repeat the season last year, and the Red Sox win another 108 games, and everything goes right for them. Everything's clicking. There's also the chance that they have to go through a couple injuries, and they have to go mm-hmm. through a couple of extended slumps, and the Yankees get hot at the right times. And I understand eight games is a, is a big difference, but don't you think the teams are a little bit closer than eight games? Yes, because when you play 17 times in a season, those eight games can swing very quickly. And, and yeah, it, it, I do think that it doesn't feel like it was that much. 
Um, the Yankees the were one game. Wise, the you look at the were... roster. Good. I'm just saying the talent. It's there. The people are always saying, "Oh, the Red Sox are so much better." Adding this guy doesn't make you better. Like I, I would argue that we look at the rosters from last year and we look at them on paper. I'm not seeing huge differences in the two teams. The Red Sox played much better. They stayed healthy. They they ended up being a better team. Uh, you know, collectively. Then the Yankees. The Yankees have all the talent in the world to compete with the Red Sox. Last year, they had all the talent to compete with the Red Sox. There was not a talent deficiency on the roster. It was the way that they executed and the way that things went down and the way things sometimes just shake out in baseball. The Red Sox, everything went well. Like I said, they were shit in gold. Like, nothing could go wrong for them. In they the had re- an, yeah, in the regular every, season, for, for the Yankees regular were... Regular season and postseason. Well, in the regular season, they were 500 against the Red Sox going into the last game of the season. And in a game that didn't matter for either team, the Red Sox won. So I think you can objectively say they were 500 against each other over a 19-game span in the regular season. Yes. And they kicked their ass. The the Red Sox kicked the Yankees' ass in the playoffs. I'm not denying that. And and that's what everybody everybody remembers. That's the only thing anybody cares about. And and frankly, that is what they should care about. It's, It's true. So it's the Yankees true. were not as good as the Red Sox last year. I think they've done enough. I think they've done a lot to improve the team this year. And the Red Sox, meanwhile, have not been improving their team. Their bullpen could be way worse uh, next year than it was last year. And their bullpen was already rocky in the regular season. And I understand that they brought back bionic arm Evaldi, But what if he does not pitch like a Cy Young the entire year, which... <laughs> is, by the way, what will happen. He's not going to pitch like he did in October for, for six straight months. He's never done that in his life. Yeah, but he will do that against the Yankees every time they played. So yeah, you know. That is very possible. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's uh, what affects us the most. I mean, when you look at those guys, too, just real, real quick going back to the um, uh, how these guys played out and how one player can affect the rest of those four, is yes, Martinez um, has all these advanced scout, uh, the advanced uh, way that he looks at his, his, his batting and, and can review things. But putting him in that lineup alone, just like, boom, inserting him in the lineup, makes that lineup protected, gives, gives some of these guys um, better pitches to see. Like, you're adding an imp, a significantly high-impact bat to a lineup. You're going to see better results around you. Um, Judge, on the flip side, was taken out of the lineup. And, and now we're seeing pitchers get more aggressive and less strikes being thrown. Uh, to to some of the the Yankees batters and unfortunately a lot of cases they were swinging at those bad pitches so you're seeing a a very inverse uh, you know way things played out yeah all right Jan the man appreciate the the lengthy email and the research very 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 well done let's move on Lee Jones from Liverpool England I'm gonna need you to tell me who got the better deal from the long stowers trade I can see that they were 7th and 10th in their previous team's top 10 prospect list, but without knowing their respective farm system depths, that doesn't tell me much. Having searched online, I found arguments for, for and against both players. Was it simply that we felt we needed an outfield prospect more than an infielder? On a side note, I listen to 10 hours worth of podcasts a week in my daily commute, and the journey that is accompanied by your show is easily the best. Keep up the great work and go Yankees. And I just read that last part to give an example as how people can leave a rating and review on iTunes for us. <laughs> Lee yeah, Jones setting the bar. <laughs> good job, Lee. Uh, so this one, this is the one that came out of nowhere, right? Everybody's like, oh, they trade Sonny Gray for a guy named Shed Long. Awesome. And uh, we, we start seeing all these, uh, you know, he, there was a, a podcast that followed him in the minor leagues for, for a while. Um, we saw that he, when he, when they have the Reds fan fest, like he goes and wins the uh, wiffle ball home run derby with one out with one arm. 
um, like he's an interesting dude. He's a he's a he's a personality too. So I think everybody got hyped up for like the ten minutes that he was a, a Yankee, and then we got uh, Josh Stowers, Stowers Stowers, who is uh, probably we'll, we'll find the, out how to more, say it. <laughs> yeah, he's probably the the more highly regarded athlete. He's uh, a little younger, um, and he was you know a relatively high draft pick. So I I, I think it's. It's it's impossible to say which one is a better player at this point to me. Yeah. Um, but but Stowers, Stowers is the fit for the Yankees system. When you're looking at system fits and organizational fits, I think he's a much better fit. It's really hard to make a trade for a guy, either guy, who are both low in. I mean, Stowers played in Single A last year and Long in Double A last year. I think you got to take talent and, and who you evaluate objectively evaluate as being the best talent at that point. Right. It's hard to to make a trade like this, which they're already behind the eight ball with Sonny Gray. They know the teams know that they want to trade them. You don't have much leverage. And what they got was a prospect who could turn into something and also a, a compensation draft pick in round a for next year for Sonny Gray. Considering the shit storm that was Sonny Gray in New York. I think that Brian Cashman did a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're t- long was, is probably going to be a major leaguer next year. There's a very high possibility that he could go out and, uh, and, and win a job with, with uh, Seattle. He wasn't going to win a job here for sure. Um, and he would have been, you know, a good depth piece and probably in triple a, but you know, when you're looking at the way that the, the way that the Yankees roster shakes out, um, you know, the infield is relatively, it's, it's, it is full with young players um, and old granted, players. And, and old players, but granted, there's uh, some injury concerns and, and a little bit of uncertainty of what's going to happen. But a guy like that, to me, wasn't going to make an immediate impact. Um, whereas, you know, you get stars from uh, from Seattle, and you now you're adding to the organizational outfield depth. And if you think about it, like how much has has been taken away with with trades for freaking Sonny Gray, and um, you know, you you got we sent McKinney to Toronto. So the outfield depth, I think, in the Yankee system has really been been taken apart and, and, and traded away. So they needed that to kind of fill the, fill the gaps and, and put some talent back in the, uh, the minor league outfield. And Florial is, is in the top 100 of MLB prospects that, that recently came out. But other than that, the Yankees farm system is all further away. So it, it's about stocking the system, restocking the system. Yeah. It depends on what, which list you go to. Uh, well, pipeline didn't have anybody in the Yankees top 100 Yankees in the top 100. Um, but Florio, uh, it, pretty, pretty crazy how he wasn't on that list. Um, all right. Next question is from Julio. I'm concerned that Aaron Boone would become Cashman's Jason Garrett. Good enough to have a winning record, but no championships. Thought this was a funny comparison. I'm going to slightly reword the question. How long would Boone have to go without winning a world series before the Yankees move on from him? I think they're, they're in for uh, four to five years. I think that's the, the, the area that they, they've given him this young team, you know, like that's, that's what's happened. So I, I think that unless something crazy happens, uh, they're not going to replace him. So I, I'd say four to five years, 2022 20, or four years from last year, four years from now. Yeah. Four years from our initial signing. So last year. Okay. Uh, the Yankees won since they, I did, I wanted to know like what, what kind of drought they're in for world series. They're currently in a nine, nine year drought. Since they won their first championship in 1923, the longest they went without winning a World Series is 17 years, but it's technically only 16 seasons, and that was 1979 to 1996. And they're at nine right now. And if they don't, we mentioned this last week, if they don't make the World Series next year, that's the first decade since the 20s they didn't go to the World Series. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot of 
lot of concern here, right? Nine years, been a long, long time. But <laughs> the fact that um, their position to go is uh, is is good for Boone. I mean, I, I still think they're going to give him a solid amount of time to make a to make an impact. Yeah, I and, know, and I think they gut. need to start seeing. You need to see uh, improvements each year, right? Like obviously, you're sure, not going to sure. you're not going to his first year managing. So obviously, he's going to have some growing pains, like we mentioned. But if he's if he's get early exit after early exit in the playoffs, I could see them moving on sooner than five years. The thing is that nobody wants to hear about these early growing pains because the Yankees knowingly signed a guy that didn't have any experience. So that's also on them for doing that. And I think that's a lot of frustration with people. Like, yes, it's an excuse, but it's not really one that that's validated to, to uh, Yankee fans in a lot of ways, because why do we have to have a guy that's learning on the job? I think that's what a lot of people are thinking. And I, I mean, I understand what, what you're saying. Um, but it is a reality that was his first year. So that, that is what it is. Whether we use that as a, uh, as an actual crutch, you know, that's, that's based on the, on, on how the fan looks at it. We got a couple more questions. Uh, next one is from Ben. I think you guys mentioned it recently, but there is all this talk about a potential strike in the coming years. Baseball took a hit after the strike in the 1990s. Do you really think they would let it happen again? Um, I, I, I think that there's a lot of talk right now and you're seeing players balk up and, and kind of stick their chest out a little bit in the way things are going down. Uh, I don't think it's in anybody's interest to, to have a, a work stoppage. I think it's, it's in the, it's a, it's a, it's a non-interest for everybody around. It's a, it's a bad thing. We know what happens. Um, the public never sides with the players either. Uh, and when a work stoppage happens, because then at that point they're looking like a, you know, spoiled millionaires and nobody wants to see that public perception always, you know, goes against players during work stoppages. But I so, don't know because you got, yeah, you got your spo- collective spoiled millionaires or your smaller group of, of cheap billionaires. Like which, who do you say? Public perception, public perception, not Yank, not, not Twitter, public perception on the masses will go against the players. It always has. And it always will because perception is reality. Those guys are on the field. Those guys are getting paid millions of dollars. Nobody sees how much money that the owners are making. People that are in tune understand that. Like, I get that. Like, the, the more hardcore baseball fans are the ones that see that. But they're also not the ones that are going to be skewed away from the game. It's the casual fan who sees the millionaire players that gets turned off and says, I don't want to deal with that anymore. That's who, that's who won't come back to the ballpark. Yeah, the CBA runs out after the 2021 season. And I think they're going to need to fix the system because we're finding that Aging free agents are not getting the money they expected to get when they're 30 plus years old. So you're, they're going to have to fix the system somehow where it takes less than six years to start getting paid because like, I don't know if you saw Evan Longoria's Instagram post and he, and he put out a picture with uh, Harper Machado, uh, Kimbrel and Keuchel and this whole big long thing about, it's a shame that some of the most talented guys in our game are still unsigned and it's only a couple weeks from spring training and he went on this whole big rant about how uh, owners are, are finding new metrics to devalue players. And maybe he feels that way. Maybe all of the players feel that owners are finding metrics to knock them down. But I also think it's owners and GMs valuing new metrics. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be malicious, right? It could just be that they realize they're conducting a business. And the best way is not to pay somebody until they're 38 years old. Let me ask you a very, very easy question to, to answer. What happens if Bryce Harper signed the supposed deal that was uh, offered to by the Nationals, if he signed it the day after the World Series was over? Bryce Harper signs 10 years, $300 million, Washington Nationals. 
Is anybody crying about that? If he actually put pen to paper on that contract, anybody? What because do you mean? I guarantee, I guarantee all, a lot of more, a lot more players would have signed already if he had if he had inked that contract. So you think Harper and Machado are holding up the market? I mean, a lot, of players, have, a lot of players have signed. It's just the yes. two biggest players have not signed. Right. But it's not like he wasn't offered a deal. If that is, if that is, is accurate, they, I'm pretty sure the Nationals have come out and said that that was the contract that they offered. Th- 10 years, $300 million. That's a big contract, right? If anybody, if he signed <laughs> yes, that contract, $30 million looking dollars at that. a year, he'd be one of the <clears throat> highest paid players in baseball history. I think that is what I still think he is going to be, him and Machado. Two of the highest paid players in baseball history. So nobody is saying anything if he signed that deal in October, right? I think that the, the, the sentiment would still be out there because there's other players in, older than him. Harper and Machado are weird cases. They're 26 or 27 years old. They're going to be 27 years old next season. It's not, really, it's not really them that have the problem. It's the Kimbrel and Keuchel and these guys who are 31 years old, clearly past their prime, asking for five years. They're not going to get it. And that is the average free agent. The average free agent hits it 30 to 31 years old, past their prime, having made a ton of money already through arbitration, but not the $100 million that they hope to make that everyone who came before them in the last 20 years made. The fundamental problem that you're laying out right now, the fact that they're getting to free agency too late, uh, I agree with that. I think that whole sentiment, that's, that's, part, that's a big part of the problem. But when you're looking at public perception and you're looking at like work stoppages and things like that, if you have a guy like Harper who, who will, would be and still is really the market setter, he's the, he's the guy who's making this market. He's the guy who's setting the high bar. If he signs that deal in October... We're not talking about this as much because a lot of these guys are already signed at that point. Now everybody knows where they stand, where the where one of the best players um, is is signed, and and he's young, uh, signs a ten year deal. Like now we understand where the market is. All these guys probably drop, they get signed. Machado definitely signs. Then we start seeing dominoes fall because of uh, people waiting for for those two guys to sign. So I don't think it's as much of a conversation. The fact is, the Harper thought he was going to get a lot more, and is still trying to hold out for more. And you know that's his that's his hand. He played that hand. Uh, so, so it's Harper's. It's Scott Boris and Harper's fault. It's on, it's on both sides. There's there's ways to look at it for both ways. <laughs> of course. But yeah, they're they're holding out for as long as possible to shake out to to wait, hopefully get uh, a team that's in desperation that needs the player and will just say, all right, I will give you X amount, and it's over what um, you know what I was offered in in September October. Uh, the rules with the the team control rules and the whole fudging of the system with the, that's the problem. That's like we talked about it. What the Yankees did with Glaber Torres and what the Cubs did with Chris Bryant. That yes. they're manipulating it so you have more team control, and I think that is a part of the system that's broken and going to need to be fixed. I agree with that. I think that sets uh, sets the tone and and really does help the um, their careers play out differently as far as financially. And just one year could make a big difference in free agency. If you're hitting free agency at 29, doesn't that just feel a lot different than if you're hitting it at 30? It, it does. And I think uh, Mike Moustakis is part of that. He's feeling that for sure. Because yeah. he just recently turned 30 and he feels like he's 36. <laughs> but, but 29, you just say, oh, the guy's still in his 20s, still in the middle of his prime. Yeah, if I hear the number 20 and, and attached to him, I'm like, oh, damn. Young. I'm, I'm surprised. Young blood, I, 30 I hear. I just went through this last year. I went from 29 to 30, and and I know know that feeling. It almost doesn't matter what comes after the first three. 
you're you're right. Old. You're 30, your 30 or 39. You're it's, all, it's all the same. You're done, kid. <laughs> Life is over as we know it. All right. Final question is from Jeremy. It's a fun one. He says, random question. If you had to make a golf foursome with you plus three current Yankees, who would they be and why? I'm going to go first. And I want to uh, have Greg Bird, Luke Voigt, and Aaron Boone in the foursome because I want to figure out this goddamn first base situation once and for all. Whoever wins, play some skins, 18 holes, match play. Whoever wins, the other one gets the boot. That's our first baseman. You don't think Luke Voigt destroys Bird? Well, see, I think Luke Voigt gets so drunk by like the eighth hole that Greg Bird ends up beating him. He also might be one of those guys who the better, the more he drinks, the better he gets. There are no, see, there's always a fine line with drinking and golf. And it's it's, for me anyway, it's like, like three to five beers. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Five beers in one sip. I'm shanking everything. Yeah. It used to be, it used to be the fact that as soon as I took one sip of beer, I was horrible. Now, I need at least three beers for me to like chill out and get into it. You get the I'm liquid good. courage. You get the liquid courage up there. And yeah. that, that's, that's when you get in the rhythm. So I try and I try and pace myself whenever I'm out on the golf course. Yeah. I can't pace myself. I have a problem with that, but um, I get out of my own head. All right. So that's yours. That's uh, I could see bird possibly being like, you know, like an Ernie Els out there, like the big easy, right? Maybe he's just got that, that, uh, that easy swing. The one that, that everybody has been talking about for years that's going to come to the, the major leagues and, uh, and, and turn right field into the bird's nest. But he's a lefty, and you can't trust lefty. Although he does throw right-handed, so he might be one of these weird guys that who knows what, which way he's going to be swinging the golf club. All right, I'm going for the glory with mine. Mine is going to be uh, just uh, a, a lot of fun. I'm not trying to solve anything. I want Didi, I want Aaron Judge, and I want Boone. I want Boone so I can talk about the whole team. I want Judge because he's an all-timer. And Didi's probably uh, one of the more fun guys on the team. Uh, so I think that would be one hell of a day out on the links. I, uh, I was surprised that neither of us picked CC because he crossed my mind as well. Because he just, obviously, CC seems like one of the most fun guys in baseball. No doubt. No, CC would be a good one, but I had to choose three. And I'm not spending four hours... Uh, hearing about Greg Bird's potential. (laughs) All right. Thank you to everybody who submitted mailbag questions. Great batch this week. Continue to keep them coming. And remember, Tuesday, Sweeney Murdy. uh, Check that episode out. Scott, any last words? Uh, Last thing on the Hall of Fame. I'm very happy that Edgar Martinez came in and and was elected to the Hall of Fame. To me, I hated the the Mariners after they beat the Yankees and and shut down Don Mattingly's career, basically, um, and and, and got, got... exited them way too early. Edgar Martinez was a big part of that, but he was, in my opinion, one of the best hitters in that era. I always uh, remember seeing that team and he was the guy that I was afraid of because he was an all-time great hitter. I'm glad they recognized it. The whole fact that they're keeping a DH out because he's a DH is stupid. It's a position and they should treat it as a position. So I'm glad Edgar Martinez got in because I thought he was one of the best hitters uh, of that that era. You know this means Ortiz probably getting in now. Ortiz, yeah, probably will. No doubt about it. All right, we'll talk and, to you guys. And, uh, Stay with Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. When you need 
mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.